Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special summer episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian. This is Maggie. And as you will probably remember from multiple special episodes, we also have our guest, Lola. Yo, yo. She's back. Um, And this time we are covering Beach Blanket Bingo, which is a 1965 American beach party film starring Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello. The reason we're doing this one, even though it is the fifth movie in the Beach Party film series, is because it is the most insane of the Beach Party films. I would say it jumps the shark, but they kind of all do. So <laughs> It's true. I, I feel like, uh, you know, the first one, which I know Lola's seen, I don't think Ian has seen, uh, but the first one, Beach Party, which kicked off the genre in 1963, it's weird, but it's still like kind of almost in the realm of possibility. There's no mermaids in it. Let's just say that. Don't tell me that mermaids are not in the realm of plausibility. <laughs> I'm, I'm so not sorry. here for it. You know what? You're right, Ian. Mermaids exist. Along Thank with Santa you. Claus and the Easter Bunny. <laughs> so the beach party genre was a very niche genre created by American International Pictures. As I said, it starts with Beach Party in 1963, which also stars Frankie and Danette and it, you know, has a lot of the same cast you continue to see throughout the series. The genre only exists between 1963 and 1968. So it's five years. And, you know, it's mostly American international pictures, but you also have some major film studios who get in on it, as well as a bunch of other independent studios. And they are just like churning out these films. I mean, you can tell that they're churning them out. I I wouldn't call this the pinnacle of quality film, but it what sure is entertaining. Um, I think Lola and I both disagree with you based yeah, on the, the looks, looks on that our you faces. Both gave me. I'm just like it's 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 not a best picture winner, but I'm okay with that. You know, you know that they were rushed to film when like the very first few scenes was obvious that they were running out of daylight and they were filming like as the sun was setting and they were just telling people like just wiggle just wiggle like do something with your hips we'll get it we'll cut it like it'll be fine but yeah i i agree but i i love bad movies so this is one of those ones that it's so great it's fun it's really fun and if i recall ian in our last episode you were talking about how you really wanted a break and a little bit of escapism so here you go oh i got all of that i mean all of it what oscar award-winning movie takes place on a beach like sherry it's from here to eternity yeah i was gonna say like (laughs) a very famous one where they kiss in the sand and you wonder why you would ever kiss in the sand because ew sand everywhere Yeah, can we, I'm sorry, but we're gonna have to pause and discuss that because that is so true. Like the idea of finding love and like doing stuff at the beach, just when you're younger and you don't understand how any of that works, you're like, that sounds so romantic, like the waves crashing. And then, then when you get older, you're like, but the sand, like it already gets everywhere, much less like, do you want to have like a full like beach inside of your body like no nobody wants that like oh okay but it is funny Well, i also love the amount of people we see wearing heels on the beach yes okay but to their credit they do say oh you shouldn't wear heels on the beach at one point explicitly say that and then he carries the mermaid into the party but that is the only time it is ever addressed honestly the mermaid i feel like gets more like plot exposition and explanation 
than anything else that happens in the movie. And there are other things I have a lot more questions about. I mean, the whole movie I have questions about, but... (laughs) I mean, that's almost a hallmark of the genre, right? Like, they are escapist comedies. They feature, like, teenager college-aged protagonists. It's usually centered around, like, the beach and surfing, although not all of them in the series, uh, notably Pajama Party and Ski Party. For those uh, winter sports lovers. Don't, but it's, they have the same kind of vibe. And a lot of the plots revolve around stuff that was like super trendy at the time. So like surfing, a particular style of dancing. Uh, One of them has like drag racing. One of them has bodybuilders. This one has skydiving. Motorcycle gangs. Exactly. I think that's all the background I have. Uh, Should we just go into watch notes? It's hard to give background on this. I'm kind of like, you just got to watch them. Yeah, I actually, I was looking at IMDb and they had a whole thing, like a whole playlist that somebody made about beach party films. And it looks like the earliest one they had was Gidget Gidget in 1959. Gidget is kind of considered a precursor Mm. to like the official genre. It is based on like surfing and surf culture, which was kind of new at the time. And it's uh, Gidget's like a teenage protagonist, but it's not quite the same uh like another hallmark of the genre i was reading is that like there just aren't parental figures around and that it's usually like the teens versus like an adult representation of like the older generation and like the more like i don't know uh like buttoned up elements of society and like gidget is definitely a little bit more plot heavy than this stuff and there's like more of like theme and stuff with that movie So it's often considered like a precursor to the genre, but not like the meat of the genre. Well, that makes sense because if you think about like the 1965, 1964, like it was very much like the man, like rebelling against the man and like counterculture was definitely starting to We're like going to start getting into like the really heavy anti-Vietnam involvement protests towards the end of the decade. Um, yeah, you have like a lot going on and these were just kind of like, Hey, here's some just like kind of screwball comedies where the plot doesn't matter. Well, and that's, I mean, that's why I, what I always say about all the garbage I consume is that it's really important to have that garbage because if everything is like, you know, like you guys see with your podcast, it's like when everything's Oscar award winning, it tends to be really sad. Like you need fun to break that up and not everything can be like this drama and super realistic like you need that fantasy and oh my god did we need a break after unforgiven amazing movie so weighty like (laughs) and we know that the academy loves a weighty film they do they love a weighty sad film was that was that 92 it was yeah 92 was like We've got emotions. <laughs> I know. We just did Silence of the Lambs, then we did Unforgiven. So like, yeah, Different I want to see people I want to see people just running around having fun on a beach. I want to see boobies and sand. Okay, we didn't see any boobies. There's no nudity in these. Yeah, but there you was can implied infer. nudity. There's yeah. there's implied nudity. There's a lot of close-ups on just butts and hips dancing. I'm kind of okay with but this. But no nudity. That very first shot where it's literally just it felt that very, very first shot, it felt so weird to watch them dancing without music. And the type of dancing from that time is just very, like, you have to have, I mean, I guess all dancing, you have to have music. But, like, that one, 
I wasn't comfortable because it's like very little. It's like it's very fast, like shaking and shimmying. But like, I feel like their arms are always so close into their bodies. This is before moshing. So I'm going to say you got to keep it in your box. (laughs) What is moshing? Like moshing? Yeah. Oh, Ian's so hip. I'm not. I'm really not. Ian's not hip because do you want to know what he said to me yesterday after starting the movie? He was like, who is letting these teens unsupervised rent a house on the beach? These Okay, I did not say that, but it sounds like what I thought. That is effectively (laughs) what you said. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, why are there no parental chaperones? And I was like, did you not do like a senior trip with your friends in high school and he was no. like no no you didn't thank either? you lola thank no. you <laughs> this is a weird private school thing i, I would give anything to do that <laughs> of, like like 20 something of us rented a beach house for like i don't know like five days that would have been amazing but no. it was a lot of fun I attribute it to when I went to a Christian school that was like small and not like a, an LCA or like a big one that had like a bunch of like rich kids. So that was definitely part of it. And I also was like, not cool. I mean, I know it's shocking. <laughs> we read my we read my uh, Facebook post earlier today. <laughs> like, I know it's shocking, but I was not a very cool like girl that went and drank and partied at the, the beach. Okay. I, okay. Never mind. I thought this was the thing that like everybody had done. It Never is mind. not I was, a thing. <laughs> I was too busy posting Facebook statuses, as you can tell. Gotcha. Cool. I was running around on a beach, so. Man. Well. Well. That's um, why you love okay, this movie cool. so much. It's so relatable <laughs> to you. This It was not the same, quite the same as this. We did not go skydiving. I did not meet any mermaids, so. There were no fights with biker gangs. You didn't even have a good time then. Yeah. You did you say bingo at least? I mean I mean, yeah, we all sang that song, obviously. Okay, I was floored <laughs> that there was a theme song. I was like Why were oh you floored my God. at that? Because I had no idea there was gonna be a theme song. And I was like, Yes, I'm so excited. <laughs> also, it just goes back to the you don't want to do that shit on the beach. So why are we getting on a blanket on the beach and yelling bingo? But it was fun. It was fun. It's a it's a fun little song. I will say, uh, tunes to the songs in this movie, fire. Lyrics could use a little work. They were turning them out. Remember, I'm not. Ex- yes, that's it's, true. Yeah. I will say because I went back and watched uh, the preceding four films after I watched this one. This one has the best songs. Mm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's saying a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know what? Uh, the Beatles were around at this time, so I'm assuming everyone else just tossed in the towel and said, you know what? Yeah. True. In <laughs> fact, one of the earlier films, uh, there is a character that is absolutely spoofing the Beatles and the British invasion. Was that the first one? Third one. The character is also played by Frankie Avalon. Um, this is Frankie's last full feature, I guess. Is that correct? Right. So after this one... There continue to be others that I'm going to say, usually not like direct sequels, but often within the Beach Party universe, so to speak. The BCU. Um, the BCU. Oh, BPU. Um, <laughs> and so there is, I think that he is in one later that Annette is not in, but other than that, like he, his parts start getting like smaller and smaller and smaller, I think probably is like his fame in other areas like started to grow 
oh, I thought it was because his baby face finally turned into an adult face. Probably. I actually, because there is a segment in this one that I think I definitely want to talk about, but somebody like makes a joke about Frankie and Annette's age. And I, so I went back and did the math. And I think in this, this one, they would have been like 23 and 25. So he was born in 1951. So wait, no, I think he, he's born he was earlier. Oh, he was born in like, active. Sorry. He's 19. I think he was born at 40. Yeah. So they would have been like, and I think Annette was like two years younger. So they would have been like 23, 25. So like, starting to age out of being able to play like high schoolers, young college. Can we pause and just talk about Frankie Avalon? Because he married his wife in 1963 and they have eight kids together. What a like wholesome, wholesome life. Stayed together. I think Annette and her husband stayed together too, I think. Probably. I was just, I, I didn't, you guys kept saying he was famous and I didn't know what else Frankie Avalon was in, but uh, he's the teen angel in Greece for beauty school dropout. Teen. Oh, da, 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 da. Go back to high school. <laughs> now, is he also the one that sings the, and I love you, baby. And when it's I think you're thinking outside. Frankie Valley in the four uh, seasons. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I said I wanted this, a pause. The plot to this is a clusterfuck. So yeah. in the interest of not rambling. Let's just bounce making, around. Kind of okay, like the movie does. Yeah. Plot's not I important. I fucking loved the hyper-coordinated skydiving getup. All of it. From the plane to the goddamn skydiving suit. They missed an opportunity with the actual parachute that I was very disappointed about and I want a refund. And then the bait and switch was amazing. I've discovered that I actually really like Paul Lind. I've never known, like seen him in anything, but I know of him and I love that he was the mastermind behind all of this. He's so. the manager, right? No, he's sugar her quote, canes. Fought, like his like think of sugar you like canes your manager. Yeah. He's a he's like her manager. So we have this uh, mystery person jumping out of a plane, hits the water. There's the whole like oh the rich person's boat that we see on the horizon will pick her up. Boat does the bait and switch. It was a professional skydiver. They replace her with the pop star Sugar Cane, who is like this is a promotion for her new album. And I love how obvious the bait and switch is. And then all of the kids on the beach are like, hey, they didn't pick her up. Let's go save her. And they do uh, have their surfboards. It's so cute. And, and they're completely flat water. It's glorious. I mean, I th- we, all the surf scenes, anytime you can see a close-up on the actor, it's very clearly in front of a screen. Doing the like. Yeah, that is my favorite thing. Because the they do that... I just the, yeah. did a lovely impression I, I, of someone I, pretending to be on a surfboard. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yeah, I, I love that so much about like, I mean, they do it now, obviously, as well. But like how much more obvious it was like during the skydiving scenes and the surfing scenes where it'd be like you'd see something that's a body double and then you'd like get a face of them. And it was just like wind blowing them and... Well, and I feel like by this point, too, like they're so leaning into the fact that this is a B movie and a B genre, right? So you get these kind of like slapsticky comedic elements from like the sound design to the like sped up film a la like a Buster Keaton film. Speaking of, Buster Keaton is in this as the weird painter guy who's chasing the girl in the fur lined gold lame bikini. 
Okay, but that whole shtick, just just what? When you were... I, it doesn't age well, for sure. It, it doesn't age well, but also, what? <laughs> those characters, I actually learned this for the first time today, those characters appear in the previous film. Kind of. Like, versions of those characters appear in the previous film, and that's the first time that Bikini makes a appearance. But I guess it was supposed to be like a gag they carried over into this film. It's like, it makes no sense. It's not important to the plot in any way, shape or form. But it does let one of the kids say, it's a wiggy beach. One of my favorite lines. <laughs> like what? I'm sorry, this is bizarre. This is one of those things where they're like, we need content and we can't get Buster Keaton to film with anyone else except this one day. So... It's it's interesting how many like old golden age stars actually like cycle through the series. So like the first the very first one beach party, I think it's Dorothy Malone. Do do do. Let me check. Yeah, it's Dorothy Malone who um is like an Oscar-winning actress. And like she has a role in that one. Boris Karloff appears in one of them. Buster Keaton appears in two of them. And you have Donna Michelle, she was Playboy's Playmate of the year of 1964. So movie was filled with greatness. <laughs> <laughs> she was the centerfold. Um, so big deal. I mean, I believe you. Where, where Was she one of the, was she in the intro or? Her name in the series was Animal. So, She's you know. She's a recurring does, character too. She's like always Dee yeah. best friend. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I mean. There's a character called Bonehead, who I love. So sweet and dumb. I, I but... will read you some of the names of the other characters in case you missed this. Um, you've got Bullets, Big Drop, Buster, which is Buster Keaton, by the way, um, Butch, Animal, JD, Puss, Boots, and then someone as Beach Girl. So really, they really stepped out for their, uh, their naming here. So I think maybe what we should do is break down, because this movie really is just jumping between like four different storylines. And I think we should just pick one, chase it through to its conclusion, and then go on to the next one. Where would you like to start? I think Ian wanted to start with the skydiving one. And since that's kind of the first one introduced, I say we go with that okay, one. Okay, but the question is, do we want to talk about the wonderful Miss Sugar Cane and her thread? Or do we want to talk about this absurd yes man situation where it was like, yeah, we're all going to go skydiving. It sounds like you want to talk about the absurd yes man situation. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, the fact that they see this person and then go back to the house and they're like, we're going skydiving. And literally every single one of those 47 teenagers in that house are like, yes, we are going skydiving tomorrow. Then they trust Big... Big Drop, played by Don Rickles, famous comedian. Who is like, everything is sky high except our prices. I'm like, I don't want to go to a budget skydiving outfit. Like, come on, y'all. You're going to die. <laughs> I know all three of us have talked about this at some point, but there are just certain things that like, I don't want the cheapest one. And skydiving like, is one of them. Yeah, skydiving is one of those things that like, I think I'm willing to pay the price for it. Not to mention the immense sexual tension and... Conf not confusion, but uh, consternation, conflict, I don't know, that it sows among both the instructors and our wonderful leads, Annette and Frankie, who I will never call her Dee Dee, she's Annette. 
Of, agreed, agreed. And it is not a beach party movie if Annette and Frankie are not having relationship problems. What do you mean? They, they're perfectly healthy relationship. I mean, we're five movies love. in and they still can't get it together. Okay, they literally said, let's leave a party and talk about us. <laughs> and then sing a song to each other. Yeah. I, love, I love the absurdity of that. You've never done that? My favorite line in that song is, you think that I think or no, I think that you think that I think that love doesn't mean a thing. And my response is, why would she think that, Frankie? The past, like, five movies or something? Because <laughs> it's always the same pattern. Basically, Frankie hits on somebody else. Dee Dee slash Nat gets jealous and then decides she's going to make Frankie jealous. And then they fight for a bit and then it all resolves. You know? I'm trying, but, but did they actually fight in this? I, like... It sounds like they just had like a couple words and they were like, I don't like this. And then the fight culminated in Frankie lecturing the skydiving instructors about how they should see the love under their noses. And like. (laughs) It's almost always a fight about one of them, like cheating or almost cheating. Usually Frankie. It's a real fight, but like, I think it could have been solved by like having an actual conversation. You know what they didn't do, which seems. They never DTR'd, you know, they never defined that relationship. And it's obvious, like, there was no going steady. There was no wearing a ring, which, you know, we're very counterculture. We're against the old societal norms. But maybe, maybe declaring that you're going to be, you know, only with each other might have been a really important step that they could have taken, you know, the first movie. But Okay, they act in the first movie like they are, like, he's carrying her across the steps. I know I'm getting, like, way out of the, the movie we're supposed to be talking about, but he, he's carrying her across the threshold like they just got back from a wedding, and I'm like, wait, so are, are you, what, what, what's going on? I'm confused. Basically, they both want varying things depending on what is needed for the quote-unquote plot. Which is why they have the skydiving because they need an introduction of new characters that are like exotic and like cool. And like might break them up because we have Bonnie going after Frankie really hard. And then you have Steve who clearly has a thing for Bonnie, but like won't say anything. And then so Dee Dee kind of goes for Steve. Uh, Steve actually played by John Ashley, who in most of the films actually plays like Frankie's best friend. So a little bit of a departure in this one. Wait. He, I'm sorry, we're going to have to stop there because he plays his friend, but he's a totally different character here. And Frankie's not like, hey, you look just like my best friend who just happens to not be here this movie. And he's trying to steal his girlfriend as his not best friend. Yeah, I don't understand where the disconnect is, Lola. Oh, okay. I mean, I can suspend reality, but if you're starting to reuse characters, you're like, mermaids, okay, but come on. I mean, yeah, it it makes sense. Um, I actually think that he's great in this, though. I think he does a really good job. Yeah, honestly, probably the best performance of anybody. It had layers and nuance in a way that I was not expecting. But the actual skydiving scenes themselves, I kind of loved, mostly because of the, like, pseudo-bossa nova new surf music that was in the background the whole time. (laughs) It was glorious. I love how you can always tell when something was kind of, like, new and, like, just hitting mainstream, because there's always, like, a kind of long sequence featuring it in, like, some sort of popular piece of media, and you're like, oh, this just started 
to like become part of the public consciousness. And that was skydiving. Yeah. I mean, you can tell because they let them go solo on their very first dive. That's how you I know. dive. That is, that dive. is not, I think, Hey guys, if you're ever going skydiving in the place, it's like, yeah, you can go solo your first time after practicing for like two days. Don't do that. I mean, if you have to ask the people, when do you pull the cord? When do you know to pull the cord? Then they should not be going skydiving by themselves. You know? No, absolutely not. And then, and they're doing free fall their first one too, which like your first solo dive, you usually don't do free fall. Like your shoot is just set to, to pull. I was oh, reading, really? I, I was reading up on this and it's apparently because a lot of people will pass out their first time. Wow. I mean, that yeah. makes me want to do it so much. Like I, yeah. I, skydiving is one of those things that I have no desire to ever do. No, I'm never doing it. Yeah. Never. Everybody Not I've talked me. to that has done it, that I actually trust their opinion on has said, it was an experience I will never do again. So that was all I needed. You know, if I want to risk my life, there's other things I can do, like trying to take food away from my cat Henry or something. Like <laughs> <laughs> He'll smother you in your sleep. Careful. <laughs> Listen. Now, the way that they were able to kind of position DD slash Annette in this, though, I loved because it was they are playing in a little bit to that battle of the sexes that you see in like the mid-century cultural uh consciousness i guess um and she is the badass that does the free fall the first time and frankie didn't so suck it frankie or she i think she just waits longer to like pull the shoot or something um because i think he does free fall his first time too i didn't think he did maybe not maybe because that was like a whole sticking point where of course he wanted her to be the perfect housewife in the kitchen and she's like fuck you i'm gonna skydive ian ian skydiving is for boys only it's also incompatible with doing any sort of domestic labor. I'm just saying. You can't. Like, once you skydive, you can no longer lift a broom. You can't have babies. It's, it's proven the altitude. It'll, it'll hurt your, your uterus. Yeah. It's part of your wandering womb. Like, you can't let it wander too far altitude-wise. Oh, otherwise, it just wanders off into <laughs> it space. It just wanders off into space. <laughs> so they call it the Mile High Club. You've gone Mile High, and your Mile High organs don't work no more. <laughs> <laughs> anyway <laughs> y'all are killing me in the best way <laughs> okay so i think that's pretty much the coleman <laughs> um i do want to point out there is kind of a fun callback if you are familiar with this like series as a whole where you have uh dd skydiving and she kind of starts to turn green a little bit and looks like she might be a little sick in the first beach party movie there is a whole scene where she's in a plane like one of those little prop planes and like gets airsick. And they do the same like coloration on her face. Mm, green light. It means sick and nauseous all the time. So fun little <laughs> fun little callback. I love a gross queen. I mean. Conquering her fear. You know, there really are yeah. complex character arcs in this series. Yeah. I mean, yeah, over five movies we got like, you know, seventy-two degrees of an arc. <laughs> we're we're getting there. Getting there. So is there anything more with the skydiving or should we? I mean, I think we should talk about the end of the uh, Bonnie Steve. Oh, how could I forget Bonnie's this? nuts. Thirsty. Those are two totally different answers. <laughs> <laughs> but both true. <laughs> but yeah, she takes Frankie up in the plane for his, uh, is it his first solo? 
No, he takes both uh, Frankie and Annette up for Annette's dive. And while Annette has made it to the ground. Uh, she, Bonnie makes an advance on Frankie. He says no, and she does not take it well. I mean, she flat out says that she's not used to people telling her no. Also, how do you put a plane like that on autopilot? Like, I'm about to go talk to my, like, brother and be like, can you put planes like that on autopilot? And also, can you tell that it's on autopilot from the ground? Single planes? Both of those things. I was just like, I don't like this. This is too close to the realm of believability for you to say this. (laughs) I will accept the mermaids, but not the autopilot. (laughs) Prop planes. Single prop planes have autopilot. Because Andrew's dad. But did that old-ass prop plane from the 50s have it? Ian, you're asking too many questions. Okay, I'll stop asking questions and focus on the fact that Bonnie was like, I'm going to undo my blouse and pull you into this now, Frankie. And accuse him of assaulting her, which super problematic on so many levels. This is 65. I don't think any of us were surprised. Nah. But the lecture that Frankie gives at the end there where it's like... I will say he takes a lot of leaps in that lecture. Uh... By telling Steve Okay, he's not taking any more leaps than we have been asked to make up until that point of the movie, so I'm with him. (laughs) I mean, he's not wrong. That's very, it's very clear by Bonnie and Steve's reaction that uh, he's not wrong, but he's basically like, Steve, Bonnie loves you and you don't give her attention, so she does this. And everyone's like, yes, this tracks. This is normal behavior. You know, it's the battle of the sexes, Maggie. You should know that that's how things happen. So does that wrap up the skydiving sequence? We think, sort of, maybe. Yeah, I, it's, this movie is, is a crazy shit show of a plot. Uh, every time Maggie says plot, you can't see her do the scare quotes over it. But um, yeah, it's great. Again, it's like four different threads that they never actually decided to flesh out. And instead, we're like, we'll just put all of the, these little tidbits in together, throw in a couple okay songs. No one will care. And they're right, honestly. It's like a singing in the rain or something where they're like, we have all these songs, so we're just going to like figure out a plot, you know, throughout to match the songs that we Except play. for they did actually try and succeed in singing <laughs> in the rain. It's, I mean, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm very okay with it. Like the movie never tries to be more than what it is. And like they made bank off of these. They're in every single like quote, even when it you know, dings the the series on being not good. It's like the wildly successful, the hugely popular. I mean, they were crazy popular. When you release four in a year. Right, that's why they're churning out that many in a year is because they're making so much money off of them. And they're relatively like low budget and they can be. Yeah, this one was $175,000, which I don't know how much that is right now, but it's definitely cheap. I'll put it that way. Uh huh. Wow. Wow. That's actually shocking to me. The amount of money that it cost? That's not a lot. Like, I mean, that's mm-hmm. the value of a car. Uh, equivalent to today is $1.6 million, Which is an incredibly small For a budget. Movie? Yeah, that's nothing. With, with title characters, and this is not their first movie. I mean, those are negotiated rates. Frankie and Annette, while not like the, you know, they're not necessarily like A-list stars at the time. Like they're well known. Both of them have pretty successful singing careers at the time. Like it's, you know, they're they're not getting nobody cameos. You know, it's a lot of these golden age actors, maybe towards the end of their careers, but like they're still getting names. 
And that's why the plot is is so good, is because they spent so much money on it. <laughs> so do we want to talk about the uh, Miss Candy Cane? Sugar, Sugar cane. cane. I call her Candy Cane because she parachuted in on a candy cane plane. So I mean, I think sorry. that's what they were going for. Um, candy Cane yeah. plane with Sugar Cane. <laughs> So we get introduced to the Paul Lind character, who is her publicist. It's all a thing. He has this like oddly adversarial like exchange with Frankie every time they meet, which I'm like, he's a child. Why are you engaging? Paul Lind is a real adult, so he just has to be an asshole with like no explanation so that the kids can hate him. I love it. He's symbolic of society and capitalism. Can't say you're wrong. But he does have some fun lines about pearls for Earl, and I just, like, ate all that horrible dad puns up. Well, so you know Earl Wilson was an actual journalist and gossip columnist at the time. Uh, When I saw that he played himself, yes, I realized that. (laughs) Yeah. Which also explains why, like, you can can tell uh, he is uh, not an actor. Which, well, but I can tell that most of the kids aren't actors. So I was kind of like, if the shoe fits, it fits. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) So uh, with the sugar cane arc, we get the reintroduction, I presume, reintroduction of the motorcycle gang. I get the impression they were a fixture. Yes. So, well, first I want to point out, you know, we talked about the skydiving instructors being one thorn in the side of Frankie and Annette's relationship. Sugar Cane is kind of set up as another one uh, because like Frankie's the one who saves her. So her publicist is all like, get a picture with her, like surfer, save, singer, all of that stuff. They, she seems to like kind of almost have a crush on him, but let's be honest, Sugar just seems to be very thirsty in general. I mean, with such an overbearing, like, handler publicist, how could she not? Like, she went along with that kidnapping plot much more easily than I was expecting. Uh, She was into it. It seemed at one point like she just thought it was a setup from the publicist, but then they're like, no, it's not. And she's like, okay, I'll still do it. (laughs) (laughs) But I do think she played the character, honestly, as well as she could have. And seeing her sing with that amazing hair and costuming like it was so the red jumpsuit with the like floor length flowy things but i also like that whole setup is so contrived and it's uh, (laughs) the whole movie is contrived so i shouldn't be surprised but it's fine but correct it is the reintroduction of the biker gang so the character of eric von zipper appears in four out of the five first movies and i think he also might appear in some of the later ones And he rides sickles. It literally took me three introductions of him to understand that he meant cycle, like motorcycle. (laughs) I love that so much. He he's part of a gang called the rats. And I don't know if you guys noticed, but the female members are puss and boots are called the mice. Which I think is kind of funny. But puss and boots is a cat. So that's confusing. Von, Z- Von Zipper came up with it. He's very proud. Yeah. He's an intelligent guy, Lola. So intelligent. Oh, yeah. You're so right. <laughs> I love the one song that they have where it's about follow the leader. It's my favorite song in the thing. The choreography is like funny and slapstick. And yeah, I love the biker gang. They're, They're always good. my favorite part. Like it doesn't need comedic relief, but they are a good comedic relief. Yeah. And it is um, 
playing Eric Von Zipper, it's Harvey Limbeck, and he's like he just goes for it. Like he understands the ridiculousness of the character and the setup, and like he's having you like a ball with it, and you can tell. I almost wish everyone would have been as like ridiculous and like leaning into the cheese as he did, because I think like the movie would have been. I don't know if it would have been more love, but I think it would have like been more of a cult classic than it is now. Like if everybody was like, like they just use like crazy voices. <laughs> okay, I love the idea of Frankie and Annette staying pretty straight with their performance, and then everybody around them just being batshit insane. Paul yeah. Lind was like a little bit there, but I wanted like in that scenario he needed to tone it up even more, which is ridiculous for me saying for him but like i agree with you it would have been a really good time if everybody was that crazy yeah i I would have liked to see more people on uh his level for sure um but i agree i love that song um they ride into the party and lola you might remember this from beach party the original ian since i don't think you've seen it um the thing with the finger to the temple where he freezes. Oh, yeah. And does, from I the, think like, they call it the Himalayan suspended animation something or like that. He always says it wrong. way he learned that too, right? Because wasn't it like a... It's like an anthropologist. Uh, oh, it was an anthropologist. In the first one, there's an anthropologist like studying the surfers. Yeah. And it's like a whole thing. And the the anthropologist does the like fingers to the temple to freeze von zipper in like a fight or something in the movie and so then throughout the rest of the series it becomes a running joke that von zipper will always accidentally do it to himself but can't do it to anybody else and so you have sugar do it to him just like accidentally yeah (laughs) i remember that now i for some reason i thought it was like a horrible oh don't worry that movie is still problematic uh just not in that way. <laughs> in all the other ways, but that way oh, yeah, they it's did problematic okay. in plenty of ways. Yeah, the whole yeah. series, like it is a cultural artifact in many ways for sure. I think you get a lot of insight into like social dynamics in the sixties. Well, and I think like the older the movie is, and especially if it's lower budget, you're gonna get into like more of the like problematic parts of society because that's theoretically all they have to rely on is like cultural norms and society kind of like understandings and like the references and stuff. So and I think comedy, sense. especially, I think comedies oh. are especially prone to aging poorly. I think we've talked about it a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Eric von Zipper decides that he's in love with sugar cane because she's his idol. He adores her. But he is his ideal. That is one of my other favorite longs. I am my ideal. My ideal, but you are my idol. <laughs> but like continuing with some of his comedy, when not not only do you have the physical like slapstick stuff as they are going down to kidnap uh, Sugar Cane, right? I'm I'm second guessing her name now. Um, but he's like, okay, we got to be quiet. Follow your leader, and then he proceeds to make the most noise ever. Falls down tries to even pick her up and can't even pick her up. Like, the physicality of that was really funny to watch. And then, of course, she goes along with it, which in its own way was funny. I Yeah, like, well, and I, I, again, I love the setup where at first she assumes that it's like, oh, did my publicist set this up? Since he sets up stuff like this all the time. 
And I like that like Von Zipper is very upfront of, no, I thought of this. And she's still like, okay. Listen, match made in heaven. It's not really a kidnapping. She fully consented on going. Yeah. And I mean, she's having a good ass time at the billiard hall, like learning to play pool, getting her double malts, like. It's absolutely Marvy. <laughs> Was Nancy Sinatra uh, bothered by this uh, kidnapping plot because Frankie really wanted to go? <laughs> or, I mean. Yeah, I don't know. Did we say this before we started recording? But originally, Sugarcane was yeah. supposed to be played by Nancy Sinatra, but then she dropped out because she felt that the kidnapping plot was like too close to her brother Frank Sinatra Jr.'s kidnapping. I'm not going to judge her for whatever issues, trauma, things she needs to work through, but I... I think, yeah. But yeah, but I mean, I think that tells you, though, like the kind of names that they could get into these movies, especially at this point, because they were so popular. Um, in a couple of the ones before this, like Stevie Wonder's a musical act in them. So they're getting like big name singers, usually kind of towards the closer to the start of their popularity, but like, again, not unknown. Yeah. Very interesting. But that plot, apparently Puss in Boots cannot stand Candy Cane. They don't think Sugar it's Marvy. <laughs> the way I'm that they deliver starting, that line I'm going to be hilarious. using that word so much. I, careful, I might tie you to a log and run you through a sawmill. Um, Can we talk about the turn that that takes with when the creepiest character, uh, South Dakota Slim. But again, you're talking about someone who's taking a character and just dialing it to a thousand South Dakota Slim was choice. Uh, Puss in Boots get him to kidnap Sugarcane, and he takes her to the old sawmill, which comes out of nowhere. You don't have a sawmill near the beach? I mean, a logical place for a there sawmill. There are just so many like large okay, like, trees actually, near I the beach. I think it might have been logical, because they could float the boats of the logs Shh. in. Ian, stop logicking. It's one of the few things that actually sort of makes sense in this movie. You're supposed to suspend <laughs> so much disbelief. That's the number one rule of Don't beach worry, we're getting blanket there. bingo. It's an escapist fantasy. But leading up to the sawmill, we get this glorious chase, which came out of nowhere too. I was not expecting to have this like fed up slapstick sort of thing going in. Again, it's, it's reminiscent it's of like early comedic films. And I actually also was like looking up some like Buster Keaton films too. And like, you do see like kind of techniques like that and stuff in his comedies and stuff like that. It's like very like Keaton Chaplin, Benny Hill, you know, for a little bit of a later reference. Um, but I, I mean, I, again, I love it. Like it, it fits so well into this genre. And of course, Von Zipper gets taken away on a helicopter by accident. Falls into the ocean. And oh my Is god, the guy the with the water mill? in his pants. I just it's prior to the sawmill. It's prior to the sawmill. Okay, because there's there's another sequence similar to that in the sawmill. Oh yeah, which is also funny and was about to take a dark turn, but then didn't. Uh, <laughs> but the the water pants gag, like actually with like the fish comes out after he opens his pants to get all the water out after him being dragged up from the ocean after falling from this helicopter. I sound insane describing this. Like I totally normal. It's what happened. No, you, this all checks out. Um, I don't understand. The physics it, oh. work. 
It's the same. It's the same logic of they put on a mask and suddenly nobody knew who they were. Perfectly Masquerade. normal. So in the sawmill it takes a really dark turn with a little bit of like three stooges humor in my mind. Like it, it's weird. It's a weird mix, but they have sugarcane tied to a log going toward the blade in the sawmill, like very old timey villain. It's vi- specifically a reference to the perils of Pauline, which I think is it. I think South Dakota Slim says is his favorite movie, which is like a 1914 like silent film where they like have that. It's like it's like the oh. classic like mustache twirly villain damsel in distress like tied to train and tracks that's what he or is. a sawmill. Yeah, he's the mustache twirly villain, and he has to get his sleep medicine. Which I one was like, of course, there's a sleep medicine cabinet in a sawmill because obviously operating heavy machinery on Lunesta is totally fine. And then two, it was a ball peen hammer. Because yeah. Puss in Boots are like suddenly having like second thoughts about this. And it's also like, did you not realize who you were talking to? Like I, no one exudes creepier vibes than South Dakota Slim. It's fine. They get released ultimately after more slapstick fighting and Frankie and Bonehead just like jumping in the skylight out of nowhere. You know, it's good. Totally normal. It's great. Yeah. I love the gag with the uh, the trap door and just opening the door as the bikers proceed to continually run in and fall through the trap door. And again, in like that sped up uh, motion, you have kind of the, the music that's reminiscent of like a Three Stooges, uh, Laurel and Hardy kind of bit. Yeah, I, I love the gags. Like you can continue talking since Ian wandered away. Anyway, uh, did you know that, first of all, Frank Sinatra Jr. was kidnapped at the age of 19. Nancy was older than him. Like, I don't know, whatever. But his dad paid $240,000 ransom, which is equivalent to $2.1 million. And the kidnappers demanded that all communication be conducted by payphone. And he was nervous that he would run out of coins, so he carried 10 dimes with him for the rest of his life, and he was buried with 10 dimes in his pocket. That's so cute. That's, wow, what trauma. Also, wouldn't the kidnappers be willing to spot you more dimes? Because, like, they need it to get the... Yeah, the mastermind was later adjudged to have been legally insane at the time of the crime, hence not legally responsible for his actions. I feel like carrying out an entire kidnapping is like a long enough time to. Well, like, also that takes a certain amount of planning. Yes. Which I think usually if you can prove that something was planned and like premeditated, then usually it doesn't fall under insanity. Yeah, I don't. I don't. He must have a good lawyer. Uh, yeah, famed yeah, but if you attorney were Gladys. When you were planning it. Yeah, but like it doesn't. There, there is a principle that says you have to be aware enough of what you were doing to be responsible for it. And if they were able to prove that this person wasn't, I, like, they, they didn't get away scot-free, right? Like they no, were committed, right? No, they got adjudged. Right? Adjudged. Adjudged. Adjoined. Adjudicated. It's A-D. Judged. Adjudged. Interesting. I don't know, but like. I learned a new word. I'm sorry, but that is premeditation. But it's true. It means to be declared. I mean, true. they either had some really good evidence, or he just had a really good lawyer, and the and the prosecution absolutely dropped the ball. 
So this was his argument. Following the car accident, became penniless, addicted to painkillers, eventually hatched the kidnapping ransom scheme and enlisted others to help. Along with the two other people, they kidnapped him. Keenan had a psychiatric condition in which he heard... Who missed this? The guy who... The mastermind. Oh, you missed it. Oh. Who, who stole... Frank Stanton. Yeah. Uh, he had a psychiatric condition in which he heard voices and felt that his plan was blessed by God since he intended to eventually pay the money back. He did not think that kidnapping was immoral. Okay, if like, they could prove... If they could prove that then i could see why sinatra initially this is where i think i would agree sinatra initially offered one million dollars but keenan demanded significantly less instead of two hundred and forty thousand dollars. okay so yeah he uh insane despite the nature of the crime keenan felt that he was bringing the sinatra family closer and assisting the sinatra in other intangible ways yeah no 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 uh, you know what i now agree with the verdict <laughs> He only served four and a half years, um, but he was sentenced to life plus 75 years. And then he became a successful real estate developer. Guys, I hope they really checked those developments. Yeah, where, where was he uh, a successful real estate developer? It was in Los oh Angeles, gosh. so. So apparently he was interviewed, I'm reading the article now too, okay. by This is like, now a true American crime podcast. <laughs> Kidnappings. But only connected to movies. Hey, spinoff. Where where did we end and where do we want to pick Keenan up? Keenan was interviewed by Ira Glass. Is that what you were going to say? Yeah. yeah. For This American, this American Life. Life. Interesting. Interesting. I don't remember where we stopped. Uh, you were talking about the trap door. Oh, yeah. We ended describing that gag. So in addition to that, Von Zipper, again, after saying it always happens to me, lands on the log, which somehow gets activated and somehow Von Zipper cannot get off because apparently, I don't know, was he Himalayan frozen again? No, but I, I will just... be honest, having watched like the series up through Beach Blanket Bingo, it does always happen to him. Well, <laughs> I just, I don't... Maybe he needs to take a good, hard look at his life and his choices. He should. It's usually because of a scenario that he instigated, but he's not wrong. It does always happen to him. <laughs> but he does go through the saw, and I was prepared for a very dark turn. Why? Why were you prepared for a I very dark was, turn? I just because I'm always prepared for dark turns because, like, my formative media consumption years, which were later than you might have thought, I had to deal with Game of Thrones. Like... Anyone who has listened anyway. to all almost 100 episodes of our podcast is not surprised that Ian considers his late 20s his formative media watching okay, years. Okay, that was my late teens, early 20s. Thank sorry. you very much. What were you doing? I was assuming you came to Game of Thrones rather late in the game. No, this was as it was airing. But Thank also, you very but like, much. Surely by this point in the movie, you knew what type of movie you were watching. I mean, I did, but remember when we watched Stardust I was and I was worried it was going to take a turn? I actually distinctly remember that because I think you bruised my arm because you kept hitting my arm being like, is it going to be okay? Is it going to be okay? And I was like, when I put on the movie, I described it to you as Princess Bride-esque. Maggie doesn't like watching sad movies. Like, I've never seen Maggie watch a movie, like, upon your own free will that's not for, like, 
I don't know, like the the podcast or something that's like sad and horrible and like depressing. Like to be fair, that's because I don't recommend those movies to you, but it is definitely a smaller portion of my viewing. You know my tastes. <laughs> and I thought Ian would love Stardust and I wasn't wrong, but he was paranoid. Oh, the I whole loved time. it, but I was like not I was prepared for it to be like actually dark and it was instead just delightful. No, so, and apparently he was prepared for the same here. Exactly, but it was delightful because Von Zipper's legs walk off without him and it is the most absurd, hilarious thing. And that's it. That's all I got. Yeah, I mean, that that is the Von Zipper plot line. It's technically, I feel like, the sugarcane plot line, but I like to think of it as the Von Zipper plot line. Are we ready to talk about what I think is actually the best and most fun and most layered plot line in the is movie? Is it the mermaid plot line? It is the mermaid yes. plot line. Plot line? I think movie. that, you know, I know that we were saying that, um, I think it was John Ashley gave the best performance as Steve. I actually, I do think he's one of the best. I think actually I might have to get it, give it to Jodie McRae as Bonehead. Because I love Bonehead and the Mermaid. It's glorious. I wouldn't call Jodie's performance nuanced and layered, but it is good. Let me, will... let me rephrase. It is nuanced and layered for that character given previous iterations of that character. Okay, I haven't seen the other characters, so I don't have that reference point, but I will take your word for it. Basically, everyone is off partying at the sugarcane party, and Bonehead oh, is... Oh, no, this is the oh, first no, this skydiving, is the skydiving right? And Bonehead, yeah. Bonehead, who they repeatedly call the stupidest one of the bunch, is the only one who I think is smart enough to be like, no, I'm good on skydiving. Especially not for Big Dan, Dipper, Dill, whatever his name is. He's like, I don't <laughs> trust that dude. I'm going to serve. You shouldn't. Big drop. I'm sorry. Well, (laughs) his name's Big Droop, and then he shortened it. (laughs) It's true. It was a great line. Um, Again, played by Don Rickles, who actually steps out of character during the party at one point to do a, like, um, small stand-up set. That's where he's, like, insulting the characters and, like, calling them old and stuff. He was, like, most famous as an insult comic. And you can't see Buster Keaton in the background not laughing. I mean, I'm not surprised. I was not ready for that roast, but it, it was enjoyable. Especially the comment about Annette and Frankie being old as hell. <laughs> so he is back going surfing. He has Bonehead a is surfing going accident. Surfing. Sorry. Bonehead, yes. Not Don drop. Bonehead. Uh, has an accident and a mysterious blonde swimming woman rescues him she's naked i couldn't hear you lolo if you said something she's naked and we hear some creepy music that is reminiscent of some early scooby-doo stuff like ooh, let's go hear the theremin through this door but gets him back to shore sugarcane gets the credit of course but bonehead knows better and for the rest of like that whole day maybe next couple days is just wistfully staring out into the ocean I can't, he doesn't know she's a mermaid yet, right? It's when he finds her again later while everyone's at the party, Correct. right? Where he like, he's basically like, oh, you're the woman who saved me. And she's like, yeah. And he's like making a date with her. And then she's like, by the way, I'm a mermaid. And he's like, okay. I texted both of you and was like, who the hell just casually is like, I'm a mermaid. A mermaid. Duh, <laughs> gosh. You don't say you're a mermaid if you're not a mermaid, Ian. I'm a mermaid, duh. 
<laughs> so yeah, that was uh, at that point I was all in on this plot and was just like, okay, we're going with this. It's great. I love that she immediately explains because he does ask why she can speak English. I love how this is the bit that the movie's like, we need to we need to have some like we need some exposition. Some plausibility. Yeah, we need to explain this bit away. And they're like, because all mermaids speak all languages. And I was like, okay. Checks out. I mean, and she's 300 years old. That's plenty of time to learn all languages ever on the history of the planet. Not just of seafaring nations. I wasn't questioning why she knew English. I was already in. <laughs> I just, like, what about landlocked countries with languages? Like, how did she learn? I, I just, I, that, that one gets me. Because, like, how would she learn all these languages? Is she having a ton of conversations with people? Like, is she literally, like, walking up being like, yo, what up? I'm a mermaid. How do I how do I talk well, to you? Well, Lola, you see, it's because they help all sailors. And just because it's a landlocked country, it doesn't mean that necessarily like someone from that country didn't go into like the merchant marine life. So then I mean, I don't know. I I just feel like it's kind of shocking she's lived to three hundred because she looks great. She's just walking up to people being like, Oh, by the way, I'm a mythical mermaid creature. Teach me your language. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> anyway, that leads into this beautiful scene of Bonehead measuring her for clothes <laughs> with his arms. By just putting his arm around her. It's, <laughs> it's the worst measurement. And then that, that thing about the birds and the bees at the end where he's like, okay, you don't know anything? Well, I'm leaving, so you she, don't lie she has lived, about them. <laughs> she has lived 300 years, knows every language in the world. Zero sex education, though. I refuse to believe that a sailor did not get naked in front of her at some point in her 300 years. I, I just absolutely refuse to believe that. Anyway, it's funny. He brings back the best dress. I don't know who picked that uh, out for him. And the sales girl was more than happy to help him make sure that the measurements were right. <laughs> she knows about the birds and the bees. I'll, I can tell you that much. I do think that um, of all of the fictional boyfriends we see in this movie, Bonehead is the best one. I mean, the bar is pretty low, but it's yeah, a I would low, agree. Low bar, but he's the best one. <laughs> yeah, he, he's like giving some real himbo vibes, and I love it. We on the Best Pictures podcast love a himbo. Think beefy, brainless, sweet man. Yep, that's Bonehead. It's <laughs> like a himbo. <laughs> yep, that is Bonehead to a T. Um, but the dress is amazing and they like go to the party and then there's the whole, it's like this, it's like the Cinderella little mermaid type deal mm -hmm. where like at midnight she'll get her fin back and then she has to be back at the ocean. But like she gets to meet everybody. And of course they just call her a fish out of water, which, you know, I love how on the nose that is. I think at that point Bonehead has told multiple people that he has seen a mermaid and okay, everyone thinks you know he's crazy. Like, oh, you're... No one believes him. And that's when Frankie tries to also set him up with sugar. Because he's like, he's like, sugar, just like, you know, flirt with Bonehead and then he'll forget about his mermaid delusion. And sugar, once again, happy to do this. Just like, so pleased to go along. Sugar is such a yes woman. She's I need so a, chill. Like, it's great. I mean, questionably, Yes. But yes, to, nonetheless. She's just trying to break into this business. Like, let a girl say yes to whatever. Like kidnapping by random motorcycle gangs. It's not kidnapping <laughs> if she agreed. 
Okay, I mean, not under duress either. It is breaking and entering, whether or not she agreed. <laughs> the so. argument, that's true, but that's not kidnapping. It feels like kidnapping when Henry goes and only snuggles Maggie, but Henry did that against you know for his own will. So right. is it truly so I kidnapping? Didn't kidnap Henry? Yeah. Yes, it's kidnapping. No, it's not. It's like it's like when you lure somebody into your van with a cute little puppy. So I lured Henry just with good snuggles. Yes. How dare you? It's totally the same <laughs> as kidnapping Lola with a puppy in a van. How dare I'm you? I'm so bring sorry. Him joy. Your pets love me. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like that. How dare she want to do something that she came up with, quote unquote. That her manager didn't come up with. So to the manager, she was kidnapped. To her, she was like, woohoo, pardon. I mean, she doesn't leave a note, to, to be fair. Yeah, she doesn't really correct anyone about no. it not being a kidnapping, too. <laughs> well, that's so. partially because she's tied to a log in a sawmill. So she can't, at, at a certain point, she can't correct anybody. With a gag. She can't even talk. Like Pushes up glasses. Actually, it wasn't a kidnapping. Um, but could you please turn off the saw? Uh, legal told me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but back to Bonehead. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it was a worthwhile tangent. This episode is as um, chaotic as this movie. It's the movie's really cha- it's pure chaos. They do end up together, and they have these horrible lines about the sea bringing them together. And I felt every ounce of Paul Lynn's oh, he's like annoying and oh fuck, what did he say? It was so good, sickening too. That's the line, like. I, I felt that. I felt that. I was so happy for that. Um, Bonehead gives her the necklace, which then later, we didn't actually cover this in the skydiving plot, oh. but there is the bit where... Yeah. Go ahead. Or are you gonna When say, you said her, are you talking about... Oh, Lorelai, the mermaid. Lorelai. Okay, the mermaid. Yes. Okay, just wanted to clarify. Um, and... When Frankie and Annette are doing their like tandem skydive, there's the bit where they don't open their chutes fast enough, so they're hitting the water really hard. Um, Steve's solution is to crash the plane into the ocean so that he can go save Dee Dee, which I was like, Logical. that is a choice. I mean, respect, but like a choice. Um, That's how you lose your pilot's license. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> but Lorelai goes and helps Frankie. Uh, so that's when Frankie realizes that, like, oh, wait, she was actually a mermaid. And Lorelai gives him the necklace that Bonehead gave her. So that later, Frankie returns it to Bonehead and Bonehead gives it to Sugar. Honestly, Sugar and Bonehead, great couple. Perfect for each other. Yeah, because Sugar's. Maybe not quite as dumb, but I don't get the impression that she is intelligent. Neither of them are bright. They're both just happy to be there. Yes. Two butter yes. knives and a drawer of steak knives. Yeah, I like it. I'm happy for them. So anyway, <laughs> I think that's the last. I think that's it. More plot that's threads. The movie. <laughs> I do want to talk about the closing line of this movie because Dee Dee looks at Frankie and says. Was there really a mermaid? That is a yes or no question, right? Frankie's response is, is there a moon? Is there a sky? Are there dreams? I mean, Way to get real existential over here. I just, I love that she was just like, hey, so did you see a mermaid? And he's like, I will not answer this question. We're all mermaids in the great fishbowl of life if you think about it. <laughs> 
I apparently am not thinking hard enough because I don't get it. Well, Ian, are there dreams? <laughs> um, I don't ever remember having any dreams, so no. Text Maggie if she comes if she's coming over next week and she's gonna be like, Is there a moon? <laughs> Is there a sky? <laughs> are there dreams? Lola will be like, cool, so I'll see you at eight. <laughs> I mean, there is a moon, as far as we know. Unless, Unless there's the moon no moon. Is faked. And it's just a dream, which is kind of concerning, right? If it's in our dreams. Well, because, according like, to the series, I mean, I guess Frankie asked the question, so that's not confirmation that there is a moon in uh, the BPU. But there is definitely Mars, because in the previous film, it centers around uh, a Martian character. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, stop. I can't. I will not stop. It's <laughs> the <laughs> truth. The BP. Oh, yeah. bless. I love the BPU. It's as well thought out as Marvel. I want a gritty reboot of the BPU. <laughs> like they did for the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> I want it like so gritty. It's like, like Sugar does gritty. actually die in that sawmill and then the rest of the movie is Bonehead's thoughts and dreams of her and just like, like him having to like deal with the guilt of that situation because yeah. he abandoned her f- to go see this mermaid that we prove is a delusion and didn't actually exist it was a projection i'm gonna call this a revisionist beach movie where we <laughs> deconstruct the <laughs> the themes and tropes of the beach movie genre somebody exactly. get hbo max on the line have i got a pitch for them oh. beach party <laughs> <laughs> speaking of revisions and revisionist history for this movie is we should talk about legacy um there have been multiple like film tributes to it there have been a lot of tv shows that have done like tribute episodes uh the one that i personally have seen and am most familiar with is the sabrina the teenage witch beach party like tribute episode but i think we can all agree or at least lola and i can agree i don't know if ian has seen this movie that the absolute best homage to the genre is the Disney Channel original movie, Teen Beach Movie. Cinema classic. One of the best movies you've ever seen. I'm not kidding. If you don't have Disney Plus, screw buying it for Obi-Wan. Who cares about that? You need to buy it for Teen Beach Movie. This movie slaps. Slaps. It is legitimately so good. The music is really good. Like, they... Especially if you've seen the Beach Party movies, like you'll and recognize. It. And Lola, so the first time Lola saw Teen Beach movie, <laughs> she had not seen these movies. She was just like, this movie is so much fun. Showed me that movie. And I was like, you've seen the stuff it's based on, right? And she was like, no. And I was like, girl, have I got Friday night plans for us. Uh, but it is, yeah, it's so clearly like such a great homage and also just legitimately a good movie in its own right. It it just is like, it. It almost, like, we keep talking about the themes of the overall, like, beach party genre. It captures every single one of those so perfectly. And so, like, the director, the people that wrote it, like, did it in such a loving way that, like, people that liked that genre can look at it and be like, oh, my gosh, it's just like it. It's so cute and fun and all this stuff. But, like, the songs, like, I listen to that soundtrack, like, somewhat regularly at one point where like my 2016 like a uh, playlist like wrapped like one of my top songs were songs from that movie like the playlist is good the actors are all like cute little you know disney people they have like 
the very first thing is like a dance sequence and song and it you have like the people that are from that movie representing it but then you've got the people from like the current time like the real world who end up in a movie that is like a supposed to be in world a classic beach movie um it's it's like meta but like executed really well you can really tell that there is a lot of love for the genre because i think a lot of times it's just like making fun of the genre and I don't think that parodies that are purely making fun of something are usually that good. It's the ones that like you can tell that whoever wrote it like loved the genre and like appreciated it and yes, saw the ridiculousness in it, but like wants to do something as like an homage and a tribute. And that uh, Team Beach movie actually when it aired, it aired after Annette Funicello had died and it was actually dedicated to her. Oh. And they the best part is they really address like the women not being like respected and making up your own mind. So there's like a lot like for me it's also just such a good movie because it's like no, you don't have to do stuff because like a boy wants you to or you think a boy will like you if you do this. Like do the stuff that makes you happy. And I just I always love a movie that like has that message of like do what makes you happy, like don't do it for anyone else. And then it just it's so cute. And it turns the dynamic of the leads a little bit on its head where it's like in Teen Beach Movie, it's the guy who really loves like that genre and is like kind of the like romantic one and stuff like that. And you have the girl who's a little bit more like focused and driven. So it's like it kind of again, it's it's kind of like what we talked about with Silverado and the Western genre, Ian, right? In those classic Westerns where we were like, it's a love letter to those. It borrows a lot of the classic cliches but kind of leaves the more outdated ones for the most part i would say teen beach movie is like that for the teen beach movie genre so anyway you should go watch it tonight ian you should go watch it my favorite song we'll see it's almost nine o'clock here so so. (laughs) my favorite part is the song that's like um where she's like they start so they they go into the movie and then they start singing and she's like, no, I don't want to sing. Like, I don't want to be part of it. And there's, like, this whole thing about, like, we're in a movie now and, like, we're singing. And I just love, like, I think it's also, it also, to a certain extent, like, mocks Disney Channel original movies. It's just, it's it's a perfect movie, frankly. Yeah. It's a perfect movie. Highly recommend that one. Highly recommend, I'm not going to say all of the beach movies. I'll be honest. There are a couple weak links in there. Um, a lot of them are currently free on Amazon Prime, though. But uh, Beach Blanket Bingo, I would definitely recommend. And I'd recommend watching the first one, Beach Party, as well. Yeah. I think you have to watch the first one to get those, like, running gags. And I think the movies definitely don't reintroduce characters and, like, set them up and, like, what, like, who are these people? But you have to watch that first one to, like, really yeah. get it. I think you have to start at the beginning and then you can kind of skip around and do whatever you want. And IMDb does have like a playlist, I guess is what it, a list of beach party films. And I think the um, the way it goes down is like definitely like, oh, you need to watch this to understand it. Like it hits all the, the hot, hot movies. But do you need to watch the horror at party beach probably not yes you do actually i've seen that oh <laughs> okay never mind. it is <laughs> truly bonkers um i watched it i just like stumbled across it one night on like it was on i think uh what was it mystery science theater 3000 or whatever cool yeah but just in case anyone's wondering i'll do a quick rundown of um the uh official aip like 
beach movies, um, since that was the studio that was like most known for them, but it is Beach Party, Muscle Beach Party, which I personally think is the weakest one, Bikini Beach, Pajama Party, Beach Blanket Bingo, Ski Party, How to Stuff a Wild Bikini, Sergeant Deadhead, Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine, Ghost in the Invisible Bikini, Fireball 500, and Thunder Alley. The last two focus more on drag racing because that had become more popular. Do you think they liked bikinis at this beach? I'm just saying there's a lot of bikini words in that in that thought. I mean, a lot of bikinis. Everybody except Annette was in a bikini. Um, I don't know if she wears one in this film. So it was like an urban legend that she was not allowed to wear a bikini because she was on loan from Disney because she was originally a Mouseketeer and that that was like prohibited in her contract. But I don't think that's true because she does wear a bikini in multiple ones of the movies. So maybe it was true for like the first one, but she, there are multiple bikinis she wears. So I kind of love the idea that Disney would be like, no bikinis, but making out good. Like she does a lot more questionable sexual things in this like i don't no, think a bikini. a bikini a bikini boobies her tummy you There's cannot show nothing navel. more sexual than a navel that's true that's just ridiculous want to see mine no <laughs> we can't also you you have a appendix very pale appendicitis uh navel <laughs> i just gave you a beach party shimmy that was, I, we didn't have the character in this film, but there is a character in other films that literally her entire job is to wear fringe and shimmy really fast. Yeah. I love and, that. And they and do that, that in Teen Beach Movie. Yeah. Her name is Bubbles? I thought it was like Giggles or something. Giggles. It's Giggles. Yeah. That's a thing. Yeah. Anyway, I think that wraps it up for our coverage of beach blanket bingo, as well as just like the beach party genre in general. I hope anyone who is not familiar with that genre, we have given you a whole new list of movies to watch. Please enjoy. You can thank us later. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> Lola, again, thank you for being our guest once again on an episode that like we were like, Lola has to do this one. I only do beach themed episodes, um, Jaws and this one. And uh Technically, uh, What's-His-Face was not wearing shoes at Die Hard, so he was kind of like at a beach. Oh, yeah, you did our Die Hard episode, so that connects it. How do we connect Roman Holiday then to those? Uh, Italy is a lot of beaches. It's a beach. The whole whole country is a beach. There you go. So Lola only does beach-themed episodes or tangentially related ones. I did the other one, the, the one, the one with the stuff. Oh, Flash Gordon. Uh, yeah. Space Technically beach? a beach. There's totally a space beach in that at the Pleasure Planet. <laughs> yep. So yeah. all I'm saying, I only do beach themes. You don't ask me to come back for anything else. I, I think um, we can promise that. Yep. I think we can we can find more beach movies for you. Um, but again, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, please rate, subscribe, review. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at Best Pictures Pod on both. You can email us in at bestpicturespodcast at gmail.com. Um, be sure to join us next time. It will be our hundredth episode and we have another very special episode planned. So, uh, definitely check that out.